21CL Radio. You're listening to the Run Your Life podcast with host Andy Vassar. Hello, everybody. Uh, a sincere thank you for tuning into my Run Your Life podcast series. Um, before introducing today's guest, Dr. Tim Fletcher, I want to let you know that Tim and I have been friends for the last few years, and we have connected several times to collaborate on different projects and to discuss what quality teaching and learning means to both of us based on our unique roles in education. As Tim and I live thousands of kilometers apart, most of our collaboration has been done on Skype and on social media platforms such as Twitter. However, every time my family and I go back to Canada for vacation, Tim and I make a point of trying to catch up over lunch in order to speak face-to-face about our work and our learning. I had the chance to meet up with Tim again this summer, and we decided to record a short podcast as I really wanted to dig into his meaningful PE model that he has worked on with the help of an excellent team of researchers that he surrounds himself with. The one thing I want to mention is that we recorded this podcast mid-afternoon at the Loose Moose Pub in downtown Toronto, and it was during World Cup time, so the World Cup games were playing in the background, and there was lots of people in the pub uh, watching the game. It was the only place that we could get this recording done, so there is some background noise that may be a bit distracting at times. And I've been really committed to improving the overall sound quality of my podcasts. So I do apologize in advance for some of the background noise that may be distracting, but I hope it doesn't turn you off um, listening to this podcast. There's so much good stuff in this discussion with Tim that I had to get the episode out there because I genuinely think that it will benefit teachers who tune in and listen. In this discussion, Tim and I really dive into the five features of the Meaningful PE model and the work that Tim and his team of researchers are doing with pre-service teachers in order to prepare them for their teaching careers in the field of physical education, ensuring teachers provide the best possible conditions for their young learners to thrive is of paramount importance to Tim and his team, and they have endlessly devoted themselves to this cause over the past few years. As Tim has been on my podcast before, uh, I think I recorded with him uh, in 2016, uh, one of my visits back in Canada. Because he's been on the podcast before, we get right into the nuts and bolts of his work and how he has refined his learning over the past couple years in relation to the meaningful PE model that he and his team are working on. Tim has great appreciation for the team of researchers he is working with and shares their contributions to the refinement of this model. As well, he discusses some of the challenges that they face when working with pre-service teachers, but also the opportunities they have to further the professional development of these teachers as they prepare for their own careers in education. Tim has not only become a friend of mine over the past few years, but has also been a mentor of mine, helping me to find more purpose and meaning 
in my own teaching. And he's always there for me as a sounding board to bounce my ideas off of. Um, he gives me um, lots of things to think about and to reflect on in relation to the work that I do. And I, I really do have a lot of gratitude for for the connection that I have with Tim. And I also have a lot of gratitude for the effort he puts in to come to Toronto to meet up with me when I'm back in town. And it's always a bit of a journey for him as he lives more than an hour and a half from where we meet up each time my family and I come back. But it's always great to see him in person. Tim is a thoughtful and reflective educator who places uh, kind of student connection at the at the or social connection at the core of student learning. He believes strongly in, in creating a learning environment that allows students to interact positively, to feel safe to take risk and fail, and to learn how to create just right challenges for themselves in order to help them find genuine joy and delight in physical activity and sport. And as he says in this podcast, not only to find joy and delight in physical activity and sport, but to constantly want to come back to it and be motivated and, and inspired to come back to physical activity and sport uh, as much as possible when they're when they're not in PE and not in school. Whether you teach elementary, middle, or high school PE, you are sure to find value in this discussion. And with that, let's jump right into this discussion with Dr. Tim Fletcher. One of the things that came out last time was the work that you're doing with um, meaningful meaningful PE. That's what you call it, right? Yep. And you've done a ton of work over the past several years, but in particular, it has really, you know, you've, you've taken it to another level over the past couple of years, and that's where we didn't get to last podcast. So I thought just to kind of start the podcast off, let's dive into that right away and, and just talk about your model. We can call it a model. Yeah? Sure. Yeah. Um, but just talk about your model how it originated, how it's changed, where you see yourself going with it. Yeah, so I think the last time we spoke, which was, yeah, would have been like 2015, 2016, yeah. um, Deirdre Necronine uh, and Mary O'Sullivan and I had been working on um, developing or working out an approach that we could use with our pre-service teachers um, to help them think about ways that they could teach physical education um, so that it produced meaningful experiences for kids. That was that was our big focus. Like, we think a lot of teachers want to do that but don't necessarily have the language or the tools to be able to say, yes, this is how I do it regularly, systematically intentionally with purpose so you found out that all right so i don't want to make any assumptions mm. here but did you feel something was lacking from the field of physical education that made you create this model and go down this route yeah yeah we we thought it had what was there had been fairly vague and not really i don't like the term systematic but i'll use that term for lack of a better one mm-hmm. um so it's, it's there, but we sort of danced around it rather than saying, like, no, we want to prioritize this. And that, that was what Deirdre in particular and I had, had put at the front and center of our yeah. thinking. We, we call it the filter for right. making our pedagogical decisions. Right. Um, and so we had experimented. So the model is the filter. Yeah. Yeah. If okay. you think of that. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
or the vision yeah. as well. Um, so Deirdre and I had worked um, together to think about ways that um, we were able to help our students in the universities develop some approaches using existing things like teaching games for understanding, using sport education. When how, they went into their teaching practicums. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So how can you make the best of those things or what features are present within existing approaches or what features are present in other ways that we think about physical education that can help you uh, promote meaningfulness. So and, break, break it, I guess, sorry to interrupt, yeah. but just right away, just break it down into, there's five components or what do you call them? Yeah, five, we call them features. Five features, so yeah. break it down into those five Yeah, features. so we did uh, a big literature review that went back to 1987. It was led by uh, Stephanie Benny, who's um, a student but been a research assistant on the project and yeah. a researcher in her own right as well. Yeah. Um, so she led a big literature review that we um, conducted 50 articles going back and so we identified these five features and in no particular order it's social interaction, fun, challenge, motor competence, uh, personally relevant learning and then there's sort of a bracketed one if you like, delight. So um, we use Scott Kretschmar's ideas yeah. to frame that. He uses that specific language for all of them except uh, personally relevant learning. Yeah, um, That was one that we sort of added on to it. Um, but we found pretty good support for those ideas. We don't think it's an exhaustive list. There are other yeah. things out there likely. Um, context plays a big role. Yeah. Um, but those are the things that we keep coming back to. So when we're, when we're working with our students in the university, we're studying, we think about, you know, well, what was going on in there? What made that experience stand out for you? And it tends to be things like, well, I made a new friend or you know someone was able to push me um, into so from a, zone. a student perspective yeah yeah so that I mean the pre-service teachers have to think of themselves as learners and as future teachers at the same time sort of have one foot in each camp um, and so by getting them to think about what it f something felt like as a learner we then say okay well thinking about yourself as a future teacher what could you do or what was I doing as the teacher of teachers to help facilitate that voice is it, and choice. Is it strengths based? Is it only looking at what was working or is it also No, definitely what didn't work. We yeah. tend we tend to emphasize the strengths I think, but what or if something's not working, like if if I'm working with students, university students to think about teaching in an elementary class what's appropriately challenging for a group of seven year olds is very different from a group of twenty year olds. Yeah. And our pre-service teachers really like competition, for example, but we know that not all kids in schools like competition. So they've got to think about yeah. a number of ways that they can manipulate or modify a situation so that it meets the needs of a very diverse group of learners. So how, you know, so that's kind of, kind of gives us a glimpse into where you were at two years ago. Yeah. How do you think your understanding of meaningful PE has changed over the last year say that's a really good question uh, I think we've become more confident in those features um, we're still very cautious in how we approach it like Deirdre and I are 
think both of us agree we don't have all the answers to this mm. we've become more confident um, in expressing it as our personal visions mm-hmm. we're also quite um, happy that some other people have found some resonance with mm-hmm. it if you like like your work I think there's a there's a lot of Resonant, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, reading through parts of your blog and things like that, we mm. see that there. We see it in a lot of other people's blogs, like uh, I'm Sporticus blog. Yeah, yeah. We see a great. lot of that. Um, yeah. A lot of the work that he's doing yeah. um, informs our approach. Yeah, uh, and so now, moving forward, we're and. This wasn't always our main goal because we didn't have like, okay, in 10 years, this is where we want to be. It's been very organic. Mm-hmm. We started with the area that we knew best, which was teacher education. And now that we've gotten to a point where we're becoming more and more confident with it, now we're looking to move it out into schools with teachers. Right. Uh, so Deirdre has uh, been working with a pilot group. So. Uh, four to five teachers in Ireland in Irish schools to test it out as a pilot model. So across different contexts and cultures. Yes. Yeah. To really find the true value and and it's uh, the impact of this on students rather than just an Ontario focus. Right. Right. You're trying to roll it out uh, across multiple. Yeah. And uh, Doug Letty's going yeah. to be uh, implementing it. I'm mean, Alberta. I mean, you've got First Nations students, yeah, uh, uh, but Edmonton's a very urban centre. Where I am in Niagara region would be sort of suburban, sort of regional almost. Yeah. Uh, where Deirdre's working in Limerick in Ireland has a bit of everything. Yeah. So we've got some diversity. There's there's a lot of other places and yeah. where um, we're not claiming that this is the approach and it's going to work for everyone in every situation. Mm-hmm. But but you can refine the way it's delivered, yep. learn more about it, yep. and then obviously uh, they'll be tweaking and adjusting and modifying, but I think one of the most powerful things is this idea of really aligning thoughts, actions, and words, you know, and that's what I'm learning through the work that I do and I told you about the peak performance uh, online course that yep. I had done recently and it, it really is when you when you have a vision and it's oftentimes and this is what I found with my own work over the years it's a little bit of this it's a little bit of that and I'm pulling from this I'm pulling from that I'm trying to form meaning mm-hmm. but if I had to cut down to the bare essence of what I did do I have a fundamental philosophy statement that aligns everything that I do, my thoughts, actions, and words in regards to what I believe is most important as an educator? The answer was no. Am I there now? No, I'm getting closer to it. But if you really had to distill what you're doing down to a statement, uh, a value statement, or a philosophy statement that has very few words, Mm. what would that statement be? Coming up with some zingers today (laughs) (laughs) and and it doesn't have to be right no but where you're presently at what is your thinking maybe it's the purpose of why you're doing what you do but i i want to get a better idea of what it is that gets kids wanting to come back to physical education or sport or physical activity 
And when they come back and want to come back, I think then that gives them a sense of meaningfulness. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything has meaning, yeah. but the meaning could be meaningless too. For sure. <laughs> but we want it to be meaningful. So what is it that really gets them looking forward to coming back? Uh, and I now, it's different. We know it's very personal, subjective. It's different for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also very different for every teacher. So that's one of the reasons why we think this doesn't. It's not a blanket approach. It's mm-hmm. not one size fits all. It has some elements in it that allow for flexibility. Mm-hmm. Um, for so when Deirdre and I compare our approaches, uh, I really prioritise social interaction. She tends to prioritise, well, at least in the voices of her students, things like motor competence, uh, fun and challenge. Mm-hmm. But So we might have the main thing driving it, but all these other things are still there bubbling away underneath. Yeah, um, and I think that's, you know, I, I understand what you're saying with it. You know, different teachers are at different places, students are at different places, but at the end of the day, it's those five features that you're hoping to get at, you know, like, and those five features that you mentioned, so uh, relevant social connection, um, competence, say again? Fun and challenge. Fun fun and challenge. Yeah. They're very much intertwined. Very much so. So it's very hard to have one in isolation. So... Yeah. What does, if you had to describe a, per, I don't want to say a perfect lesson, mm. but if you had to describe optimal learning conditions, yeah. if anybody listening to this was to step into inside an optimal learning experience within this framework or model, what would, what would they see? Yeah. So I think when it works best for me is when I've created conditions where people in my class are getting on well enough or at least are comfortable enough with each other and with me as the teacher Mm -hmm. to be able to go into situations where they're not feeling like they're going to be harassed, they're not afraid to make mistakes, which encourages them to be able to take risks and challenge themselves. So already there's social interaction and challenge. I think if they have those good social conditions and are appropriately challenging themselves to that just right level, they're more likely to have fun. Then it becomes up to me to say, well, how does this impact your life outside of where we are right now? Like, Can you take this situation to a birthday party you're going to on the weekend if you're working with a group of Mm six-year-olds? You know, if you're playing tag at a kid's birthday party, how did what we do just then help you make sense of that? Right. Is is there an element? It sounds to me as as well that it's uh, there's an element of self differentiation, uh, or or you know if if so, it's the teacher's responsibility to create the conditions for students to to find what matters to them, right? Which means that they have to differentiate their own experiences. From the students? Yes. Yes. Yeah, because, as I said, with, with our pre-service teachers, like, competition, like, they love it. Yes. And that's okay for them, and maybe for a very small portion of the students in their class, but not for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, so we start to think about, well, okay, like, think back to when you were in 
grade seven, you might have been the one having a fantastic time. How were the other 20-odd people in the class feeling? And really reflecting on those experiences and starting to think of ways, well, how can you satisfy people like yourself, mm. but also those other ones? So like competition, we try to encourage self, um, like task-oriented competition. So striving for a personal best. Yeah. For some kids, the personal best might be social. It might be like, well, I didn't bully anyone if they yeah, made yeah. a mistake. Yeah. You know, I was able to keep my cool or something like that. Which, which means critical self-reflection is a big part of getting kids to critically reflect and this yep. is the, the struggles that I come up against in the work that I do when I deliver workshops and you know a lot of what I do is based on critical self-reflection as, as an educator but right. also promoting that with students that yeah. we teach and you always come up against I don't have time for that you know as a teacher I don't have time to get the kids to do that because my job is to keep them active as long as possible so my response is always it doesn't have to be written reflection that takes 15 minutes and that's where I kind of um, and I didn't develop the walk and talk thing but it's it's that idea that instead of getting kids sitting down well they go for a walk around the perimeter of the gym and they grab a partner elbow buddy and then you just share your learning in relation to the activity that they had just done where are you at with it you yeah. know and and the kids, and when you build a culture of kids constantly having opportunities to talk about their progress, mm. then I count that movement around the gym when they're talking as physical activity. Yeah. Right? And that's, so it's reframing and restructuring the learning experience. So within this model, Meaningful PE, what are s some tips or strategies that teachers can uh, apply that, that, will work to get them make, making those connections. Yeah, um, so this that's sort of what we're working on at the moment. Um, Deirdre's come up with like teacher diaries and student diaries. Um, so it's almost like a homework journal. Yeah. Um, I think, not all the time, but I think there's value in having like 15 minutes of for written sure. reflection yeah, time. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think if you prioritize meaningfulness, the, the physical activity will come as a result of that. I don't think it works necessarily the other way around. Yeah. If I prioritize physical activity in and of itself, I can just get them to run laps around the gym for 30 minutes. Yeah. But when they leave, they don't want to necessarily go and pursue that afterwards. Yeah, no, because they've, it's been control and compliance no. and, and they might have a little bit of fun and doing I, it but as Kretschmar says fun and you know I had him on my podcast yeah, which I is know. amazing yeah. and I know of <laughs> yeah. his work because of you and yeah. Doug so when he was on the podcast just everything he was saying I was just nodding my head and listening to him going yeah. oh you're so amazing you yeah. know but and he describes fun on the shallow end of things yes. you know whereas the, the deep end is a different ball game you know yeah and that's one that we've struggled with is delight. It's not that we um, we don't see its value. We've we've found it from our experience very difficult to plan for. Mm -hmm. um, and we've had a couple of our graduate students who are working in primary schools as well as teachers. Um, they've struggled to to plan for it as well, but becoming skilled at 
recognizing it when it's there, that deep play, yeah. and letting that go yeah. is something that we see has the potential. Like in a half hour PE lesson, it's very difficult to get those deep states that Kretschmar talks about, the exactly. flow, like runners high and yeah. those sorts of things. But if it is there, being observant of it and saying, wow, like I've just got to let this go. Like my job now is to stand back. Yeah. And I'd like, you know, one of um, I'm Sporticus's blog uh, yeah. posts, Drowning in the Shallow, where he said he felt irrelevant. Yeah. Know, standing in the lesson, I say to some of my students, like I'll make a point of saying, well, what was I doing, you know, while, while you were in that pickleball lesson? Yeah. Most of the time I'm retrieving a ball or just standing on the side twiddling my thumbs. Now, some people may say, well, you should have been interacting with... But I'm just getting in the way and interrupting the conversation. You mentioned something like that this morning. Now, that doesn't mean that I haven't planned, like spent two to three hours planning the transitions and things, so I set up these conditions that will promote delight Mm. and those sorts of things. And once I see that's there... Then I just let them have at it, like have the yeah. experience that I want them to be having. Yeah, and I think added to that um, is this idea of, and this is what I talked to you about with our connections to community uh, program, that community-based PE thing we're trying to develop in Saudi Arabia at my school, is this idea of the concept of action. And really, that deep delight that you're talking about, we might not see it, but if we're creating conditions that get kids to take action on their learning outside of school, then they will be intrinsically motivated to continue their journey and probably experience delight when we don't see it. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And that's unmeasurable, but you can measure whether or not they're taking action. Yeah. I think, you know, through, through reflections and getting them to log when they've been active and that's what we're trying to do at our school yeah one thing that that steph benny did when she was sort of testing out some of these ideas um, was much like uh, don hellison's model the tpsr um rest you know, is ha- salt yes yeah yeah that's a, a huge loss yeah um he had you know encourages the levels to be sort of visible around the gym yes. Steph found some value in having the features in age appropriate language posted Absolutely, so that so yes. the students can recognize for themselves what they wanted more of what they wanted less of or what they liked or disliked yeah. and then as you said like if they can be in an experience outside of the school and start to save themselves like it's really the social stuff that keeps me going back like you know I've just yeah. moved to a new town and the first thing I do is sign up to a dance Absolutely, class yes. to meet new people yeah you know if they can recognize that for themselves and recognize when they might be experiencing delight yeah and be conscious of that then they'll probably start to value physical activity outside well like just as part of their lives yeah um, or at least be more conscious of that yeah one of the um, and and getting back so something we're going to try next year and I have a piece of paper we're we're recording at what what pub? the loose moose the loose moose on one forty six front street so yes. there's a bit of a <laughs> pub noise but um, in front of me is a piece of paper and one of the teachers that I'm working closely with from Scotland um, a great teacher his name's Evan Bryceland what we're thinking about trying next year is to have 
large poster-sized pieces of paper that are um, up on the wall. And then, so I'm showing you on the paper here what it looks like, but it's essentially timelining the unit out uh, on a large poster-sized piece of paper so that the, you can see week one, two, three, four, five, six, seven across mm. the poster. And then with each week, you kind of um, plan out in advance, you, you kind of plan out which concepts and which learning will be unpacked. Okay. But those are laminated and attached to the poster. Okay. So you don't know if it's going to actually be unpacked in that progression, but then as you unpack the big big words and you unpack those are attached underneath, right? So now with each class, this is a beautiful thing. Each kid has an avatar on a a piece of paper about the size that I just showed you, maybe um, I don't know, like five centimeters wide by three centimeters with their picture on it and that's laminated so with each week they can plot where they're at so uh -huh. that if they're if they have a really solid understanding of what's happening mm -hmm. then they're gonna put themselves up higher on that poster right. if they don't and they're still struggling then they're gonna be down lower so with each class they they plot where they're at and now we're we're tinkering with what that will look like do we get a picture of it so you have like 20 pictures posted up mm -hmm. but then you can remove them if you get a picture of it you can remove them yep and then the next week the kids have their their avatar again and then they can put it up in week two yep. with where they're at so it's more or less a confidence understanding thing you know but but we're trying to think about what that would look like, mm. where the kids are actively responsible, seeing the timeline of the unit and the mm. big ideas, where are they at? We haven't fully processed it yet, but that's where we're going next year. Yeah, I've, well, I think that, that will help with their reflection yeah. on what they're learning, but also it might help them to set goals, like yeah. if they see. Yeah, that's um, what we thought, With if it's laminated with, with um, erasable marker, they can write a sentence sure. on on that. So that's the to create enough space that they can write a sentence on their little avatar and then paste it up on, yeah. you know, plug it up on there. So, so it's just some ideas to dig deeper into where they're at in their journey. Mm. You know. Well, I think, I think having students or participants be aware of what they like, what they dislike, what they're learning, what they're struggling with, those sorts of things can really help them get a better sense of their experience. Yeah. Um, and I think that's more likely to encourage them to keep going, like, you know, just showing up to phys ed class and then checking out again. It, it becomes less of a break in the day that a lot of <laughs> yeah. people who aren't passionate about phys ed really sort of, yeah, would... Uh, bristle at yeah um, I think we want to get away from that and that's one way that we can do it become yeah. conscious of the learning yeah for sure if you were to project ahead um, what are your hopes with let's say if everything goes as planned yeah let's uh, throw you into a time machine and, and get you going like five years ahead or seven yeah. years ahead if everything goes as planned what will it look like then what are you hoping to achieve uh, I I think our ideas will be a little bit more refined. Um, we're not 
we don't have any intentions of you know this being the model or yeah. the approach. There's it's going to be different for every teacher. It's going to be different for every group of kids. Yeah. Um, but you know, it'd be great if it sort of sat alongside some of these other approaches that worked. Um, yeah. If people in different contexts were able to apply it to say, yeah, the kids that I work with are really responding well, or this has given me a better sense of purpose for my teaching and those yeah. sorts of things. Um, we're not after, you know, a, mi a million likes or anything yeah, like that yeah. on our blog, but, you know, some, some sort of positive response from that, but also some feedback, like, you know, have you thought about this, or like, this yeah. is a big area that's missing. Um, and for other people to sort of take it and run with it. Like there was a really good article that came out a little while ago um, on people using the features to think about an activist approach, which was something that we hadn't thought of, but they'd sort of mapped that on. So that was very cool. So what and do you mean by that? that well, that's a, a, another approach sort of, I don't know enough about it to yeah. articulate it clearly enough, but I think it's very much about working with um, some kids from marginalized groups, that's right. like uh, Carla Liguetti and her colleagues in Brazil, yeah. Kim Oliver and David Kirk have been doing it with girls, right. um, to really sort of make it a research agenda to fight for a cause, to speak up about it, right. but also to use that pedagogically, yeah. you know, to promote um, causes, if you like. Yeah. Um, so when they were using the activist approach, they were able to see that participants I think they were working with girls. It was a group in Norway or Sweden. Um, was able to say, yeah, the girls were able to find it more challenging. Interaction was improved, etc., etc., etc. So the features sort of mapped onto that. So yeah, like th there's a lot of possibilities that yeah. that I'm sure people will take and run with it, and that's that's great. Yeah. So where can people find uh, more about it and and learn more about the work and be able to read some of the stuff? Maybe try things out. Maybe offer you guys feedback. Yeah, we've we've been on a bit of a hiatus from our blog, which is meaningfulpe.wordpress. Um, I think um, we have our Twitter, which is at meaningfulpe. Um, we're ramping that back up over the next little while. We're going to be putting up some pedagogical cases using some um, examples from from our group, but also like you know maybe referring to your blog posts mm. and saying you know here's how that we see the features working or some of these pedagogical approaches like voice and choice working in andy's thing mm -hmm. so really giving some practical examples um yeah. all our academic papers are available on there um maybe not in the pdf pretty yeah. format but at least in microsoft word so right. all of our stuff's up there our slide Excellent. decks and things like that that's all um accessible but you know the we're on the an email away as yeah, well, yeah. Um, and and I'll have your email in the show notes. Um, your personal Twitter handle? Uh, Tim Fletcher twelve. Tim Fletcher twelve. What's the twelve stand for? Anything uh, in particular? My favorite number. Okay. Well, I'm born on the twelfth. <laughs> okay, I used to wear twelve when right. I played rugby. Okay, there you go. My <laughs> wife's born on the twelfth. Yeah. So, yeah. Excellent. Excellent. All so, sorts of things. This was just a, a short glimpse into. Um, you know, I, I'll have you on again for sure, <laughs> but um, hopefully sooner than two years from now. I think now. I get a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, it's been great just to dive into it, and that's what I really wanted to learn more about what you're doing and how things have changed. And I've been following it, and I understand it, and I deeply connect with that type of work. And like you, 
I'm trying to you know understand how to take it to the next level with the the kids and I'm not teaching but I'm coaching teachers so how do I do it through the workshops and through coaching teachers so it's become a new passion of mine you know so uh, thanks for being on the show Uh, thanks for having me Andy and it's um, just yeah to finish off it's it's from hearing from teachers who are using it in schools and seeing it with kids like you know, we might rightly be criticised for being in our ivory towers, but so hearing from the teachers is something that we we highly value, and it's been really, um, really important to yeah. us to see it. And so yeah, it means a lot to us to yeah. see you and others take it on. Yeah, and that's the the connection piece. So everybody, thanks for listening to my episode with uh, Tim Fletcher, and I hope you come back to listen to future episodes. Thanks for listening to the Run Your Life podcast by Andy Bassett. To check out show notes, get some more information about Andy as well as his guests, head to our website, 21clradio.com.